series of inspiring conversations with remarkable working women. And I am really honored today to be joined by Carrie Ann Brinkman, president of Blackheart. Welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. So I guess we really need to start by how's this shelter at home treating you? Well, you know, it's a roller coaster for sure. Like I'm sure everybody else, um, you know, I swing from extreme gratitude <laughs> to despair to the next day and, you know, just trying to to keep sane and keep it all together. But, you know, uh, for the most part, look, if this is all we have to do, it's it's uh, it's not the worst thing. I get to be in my lovely house with my family and working. So, you know, I have to keep reminding myself to be to be very grateful. And I think I think it's okay to feel grateful and at the same time where you're trying to homeschool and entertain your kids and, you know, keep your house clean and everything else that goes into and work. I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot. It is, especially the house clean part. (laughs) 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 That's probably the most challenging part of this. (laughs) So let's just jump in. You had a really unique childhood growing up with Joan Jett in your life from the time you were a baby. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit about your relationship with her and, and you know, her relationship with your family growing up and, and now today? Yes. So um, not only was she in my life, she was actually in my house. So she lived with us until I was um, about 14 years old. Um we all started in an apartment building and then we moved to a house and she had the top floor. So it was kind of like this, you know, it's kind of harkens back to that old school. It takes a village to raise a child and I'm an only child. Mm -hmm. And, uh, she was my third parent. And, um, amazingly, she was probably the strictest (laughs) in some ways, the most grounded, Um, and so, you know, she, she had a very big hand in, in raising me. Um, so we're incredibly, incredibly close. Um, she's also the godmother to my two children and I still call her in for the strict parent talks, you know, (laughs) (laughs) for them. Um, and, uh, and yeah, you know, I lived in this very conservative Long Island town, so it was pretty unusual to have, um, a celebrity and a rock star living in your house in this town. It wasn't like I grew up in, you know, New York city or LA. So, you know, it definitely gave me a very different perspective, different childhood. I, uh, I went on the road as a child. I had my own bunk. I was the road puppy. They called me and, um, my parents were definitely, uh, threatened with truancy on more than one occasion. Um, (laughs) I was the kid that came in with like a pink streak in my hair. And back in those days, that was frowned upon, um, unlike now. Um, and and yeah, it was um, it, it it gives me, I think, a very different perspective. And because of that, also, I almost grew up in like a work environment. So, you know, I always saw the model of um, of really uh, having to work hard and, and to, to work for everything you have and, and also, you know, staying authentic and staying, um, true to who you are. So, so that was a big, uh, it was very formative for me. And as I grew older, 
I ended up going into the family business and, um, we're very close. We, uh, you know, me and Joan are very close. Me and my father, um, it's an interesting dynamic to work in a family business as anybody who works in a family business will tell you. Um, it's an interesting generational divide sometimes, um, and just in terms of approach and, um, how you think about things. And so, you know, there's a lot of butting heads <laughs> between me and my father. And then, you know, Joan and I are generally end up on the same page a lot of the time. And, um, but you know, it, it's, it's kind of a magic thing. And my father always says that, that, you know, he's always felt like the three of us, the combination is, is a magic combination. I think he's right. And, um, it's really, it's nice being able to, to be able to, um, all work together. It's very, I mean, it's special. It's, you know, it, this is not normal for most people to have a rock star grow up in their, in their life. So it's, it's pretty neat. Yes. And and it's interesting, right? Cause you, you just know what you know. Right. And so now in retrospect, I look back and say, wow, so that was pretty different. You know, like, Joan came to visit me in college and, you know, came in, came to classes with me and people were like, um, excuse me, <laughs> why is Joan Jett sitting in my performance art class, you know? Um, but, you know, I think it really, it's an interesting perspective to have growing up and especially just looking at, um, you know, careers are long and especially when you're in the public eye. And so you see that the ups and downs of fame and of, um, you know, how trends come and go and, and how people navigate that. And it, it's, it's, it's very interesting. It's a different perspective, I think, to have. I could, I could definitely imagine that. Well, let's talk about you a little bit and your role at Blackheart, your family business, mm-hmm. so, so to speak. So tell, tell us about Blackheart, how it, how it came about and what you guys are up to now. Sure. So when my father and Joan met, you know, 150 years ago, <laughs> um, at the time, a woman with a guitar was not something that was commonplace. And she was rejected from all the major labels, some minor labels. So all they could do was, you know, they weren't going to give up. And they started printing records themselves and selling them out of the trunk of my father's Cadillac. And out of that grew Blackheart Records. So, you know, mother of invention, right? So um, really, one of the first independent rock and roll labels, maybe the first um, founded by a woman. And so out of that, you know, then there was a lot of different iterations. And um, around when I graduated from college, I started at the label and started to rebrand it and, you know, bring it back to um, things that could be traced back to to Joan and who she is as an artist. Um, a lot of female-led bands and and male too, but you know, really rooted in in punk and rock and and really being authentic. Um, so 
that we did in uh say like the early 2000s and that's that's when that iteration started and since then we've been growing to uh a lot of different um areas so clothing we're going to be doing a clothing line um film etc um because you know now now the world it needs multifaceted. It's not just music, right? Like it, it, you need to connect the dots. It's, it's film, it's music and, and they can, um, exist together. And one of the unique things about us is because of, um, the resistance in the beginning, Joan owns all of her masters. We as Blackheart own the masters for, for the most part. So, that's a really unique thing as well as quite a bit of the publishing and that's not a usual thing in music. So we're very lucky to have this flexibility to be able to um, use the music in ways that, you know, some artists would have a harder time um, getting the rights to do, et cetera. So we've been uh, very fortunate in that way. So gives us a lot of flexibility to do a lot of different kinds of uh, projects and collaborations. Putting this, pandemic aside, it's such a different time for musicians. I know my son, who um, is technically still a student at Berklee College of Music, but has taken a little time off that's gotten a lot longer than I expected, but supposedly that's normal. But I remember when, um, when the president came to speak to all the freshmen, he was talking about the fact that one of the things that Berkeley was very involved in is figuring out ways for artists to make money now because it's gotten so much tougher. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, whenever, you know, it's interesting though, because I think the business, obviously music right now, the music business is going to be hit tremendously because a lot of artists were making the majority of the money on the road, which, you know, now we're going to have to figure that piece out. Um, though I do, I do have a lot of faith in this industry and I think there's going to be a lot of innovation and there's going to be a lot of amazing creative ideas to get us through this, um, collectively as an industry. Um, but I think it's also very unique time because, you know, sort of the model that, that Joan ended up in just out of necessity in the early eighties, which was absolutely unheard of. It's become more of the norm now, right? So, you know, maybe you don't necessarily need a giant label to do what you do, you know? So it's kind of an interesting combination of challenges and also benefits right now. Are there any projects we should be looking out for from Blackheart that just... Tons. Okay. (laughs) Projects. So... We actually, um, we do, uh, we are a label as well. So we just, um, we moved up some releases to kind of bring some joy into the world right now. Mm-hmm. So we uh, just released um, a cover of Joan's song from uh, from the 80s called Fake Friends that L7 did and Joan appears on it. So we're really excited about that one. That one's fantastic. And we also put out a, uh, Cherie Curry's album um, that Matt Sorum produced and features a lot of awesome guest appearances from uh, Billy Corgan, the Veronicas, uh, Juliette Lewis, Slash, and um, 
Shri Curry was, of course, uh, the lead singer of The Runaways, Joan's mm-hmm. band. So we just did that. So those those two projects are out and can be um, heard in all of the streaming services. And then there's a ton of other stuff that we have in the works, some that, you know, are in too early stage to actually talk about. But mm-hmm. one of the things we've been working on, too, is a clothing line with a collaboration with um, Todd Oldham. And so we've been working on that for quite a while, obviously, with everything going on. <laughs> production's going to be interesting. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but that's moving along and, and it should be within, you know, we'll see how the world sorts itself out, but we were hoping, you know, within the year. So we're very excited about that. Does that involve vegan leather? Because the day that I got to spend some time with Joan and, and talk with her and then interview her, mm-hmm. um, she was wearing this fantastic vegan leather jacket. It certainly does. That's that's a big reason why we did it. You know, Joan is very pragmatic. And so if she can't find something, she wants to make it. <laughs> and so that was a big part of this is, okay, you know, you can't find the perfect pant or whatever it is. Um, and so, so that was a big piece of this. So I have a question. Um, you know, we've already been talking about how it's so interesting to grow up having a rock star as part of your family um but in a different way sort of as a businesswoman and just in a broader sense for you are there things that you've learned from her and even from the rock and roll industry as a whole that have helped you in your career maybe how you look at things a hundred percent I think that you know Joan specifically and rock and roll in general you don't have to fit into a box you can you can make your specific um, brand, for lack of a better word, or your specific vision, you can persevere with that. I mean, Joan did that. um, The amount of resistance she had in her career for just being who she was and carrying out her vision was enormous, but she kept going. And, you know, it worked. It worked for her. But, you know, she also, I always say this to artists because I think Joan is very much like this. It's a very difficult industry, right? So if you, you have to not be able to do anything else, if that makes sense. It it, it has to be authentic. It has to come from something. It can't be about fame. It can't be about anything else. It has to be about that's who you are and that's, that's, um, how you live, if that makes sense. So I think um, authenticity, I think, is uh, the key to success in anything. And I, I've i really learned that from the rock and roll world. Um, and yeah, and, and you know what? It's work. And I think people don't realize that. <laughs> it's a lot of work and you have to keep going. So... Um, so yeah, I think I think that uh, you know just just being able to be yourself and 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 sticking to that is is something that I have tried to do in my career. And it's good advice. I mean, the authenticity and also and and as part of that, really not tr- not trying to fit into a box. I mean, this is a, a crazy time, especially for working women. Yes. You know, with this 
pandemic and what's been happening in the workforce and it's affecting women more. And I know, you know, initially your point is about musicians, but really it works as for business women too, for whatever they're doing, because some women are going to have to reinvent themselves right now. And, and, you know, how they're going to do that. Well, it's scary, Yes, but also if they can try to think about some of the basics of what makes them unique and special and you don't have to be a rock star to, you know, everybody has their own things and really look at, you know, lean into what they're good at. That's really helpful for right now. I think so too. And I think that it was kind of going along that trajectory anyway, that like, you know, I think when I was younger and when I was a kid and looking at working women, it was like women were meant to feel that they had to fit into the man's world. Right. And, and, you know, it was very different time. And now I feel like more and more, you know what, it's okay that we're mothers too. And it's okay that we are upfront about that and that, you know, this is a real part of our lives as well. We don't have to hide it. You know, earlier in my career, you know, maybe 20 years ago, you had to kind of, or you didn't have to, but it was like a societal thing that like, you know, it was very separate. And I think that there's a lot of acceptance around that. No, it's kind of, um, you know, our lives are, are not that boundaried, you know, we, we do acknowledge that, there is, um, there is a family, there is, you know, your children and that's okay. And you can be all of it. It's tough. And I think it falls on women so much more. Um, you know, even if you have the most supportive partner, like I do, I still feel like there's a lot more pressure on women as mothers and as working mothers and, and balancing that. But I do think that, um, I think that's going to be an interesting thing that comes out of this because, I mean, I can't tell you how many guest appearances of children I've had on my Zoom calls. I know. Mine too. (laughs) We're all that BBC reporter now. Um, But I think that there's going to be a lot more acceptance around it. And I think that's going to be a very interesting uh, development out of this. I absolutely agree with you. How are you running your company from home And are there going to be some things, as you're saying, that you might, you know, that might spill over after people can be back in the workplace that you might use? A hundred percent. I mean, you know, I've worked remotely for a long time because my office, my main office, the home base is in Brooklyn. And so, you know, I've had my, my little office and, and, you know, I used to joke because I used to live in New York and I said, you know, I used to G-chat people across the office. Now it's just across the country. It's fine. But, you know, not everybody had come along with me. Um, and now I think we may even just get rid of our office because everybody kind of loves working remotely. I find there's a lot of productivity in it. Um, and I think we may continue that. And, you know, we never, we always used to do just like land based calls, you know, whatever the zoom calls have been lovely. Um, so I think we're going to, we're going to continue with that. Um, yeah, I, I think, and I'm seeing this all over. I'm seeing this with a lot of my friends with, with companies that, you know, people are really rethinking how they do this, even really large companies. Um, you know, you meet maybe once a week instead of, 
instead of every day. And, and, uh, I think that there's something to be said for that. And I don't know if the, 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 the more productiveness is just because, you know, I think that it's a way of coping too, for some people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I know I tend to go there. I tend to get into plan mode when, when, you know, everything becomes more chaotic. Um, but it's definitely an interesting shift. Yeah. Focus. Well, I have had my my communications company for a little over five years, and we have people in L.A., people in New York, and people here in Miami Beach where I am, and I, I've set it up from the beginning as a virtual company. I always thought in the communications business, your clients want to see you at their office. They don't need an office. You know, we didn't need an office. And so we were already primed for this. I will say that, you know, when you add in having to be home, homeschooling your kids, worrying about everything that comes into your house and wiping it down, when that's all removed, it really is lovely to work from home for many businesses. But I think it's that additional pressure that for so many people is just really getting to them right now. So are there any things that um, that you're doing, and I know it's difficult, but tr- to try to stay sane right now that we could learn from, like, are you meditating or taking online exercise classes, a- anything like that? Yes, yes. I've, I've started doing online training, which is amazing. It's a half an hour. It's focused. I go from my desk to, you know, to the rug and and do my little workout. And I'm also really, really lucky. I live within walking distance of hiking trails. So when I really start to get like, you know, it's too much, I go on a hike. I get my head together. Um, yoga is always incredibly helpful for me. Um, and, you know. To be honest, cannabis is helping, <laughs> and and that's really it. Hey, those that's are really very it. good tips. So, <laughs> in in the vein of advice, I just would love to end this by asking you: Is there one piece of advice that's really helped guide you through your life and your career that you could share with us? Yes, I think the biggest thing for me is. Um, my father always used to say to me growing up, it's 90% perspiration and 10% inspiration. And I think now more than ever, I've been thinking about that a lot because, you know, we're all going to have to um, look at how we view our careers, even just how we approach them from, from our personal perspectives and, and how that fits into our life in this new kind of weird reality and also, you know, the world is going to change the product needs, the product consumption, you know, uh, the way that we approach our businesses, you know, there's going to be a lot of ideas, but that's nothing unless you are willing to put in the time and, and really, um, and work towards it. So that's, that's a big thing I've been thinking about a lot lately, um, I would say probably that that's it. it. It takes perseverance. I mean, that's why um, I uh, produced a documentary about Joan a few years ago. And one of the big reasons that I wanted to do that is because I think we've forgotten how much um, you need perseverance to get where you need to go. And 
So I, it's something that I'm reminded of all the time, especially, you know, I see the younger generation. I always look at the world through the the eyes of my daughters, right? And what they're going to come up against and, and, and the world that they're going to enter. And it just always comes back to that is that you have to keep going. That is, that is the biggest thing is just keep going. I think you're a hundred percent right. Thank you so much for this advice and, and for talking with us. Thank you. Thank you.